0: Welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. My guest today is David Lawrence. He is the author of a book called Debunking Determinism. Determinism. I don't know why I couldn't say that. Um, But as you know, that's a subject that I'm very passionate about. I started this podcast, you know, saying that we need to preserve the free will of humanity. And that's what we're going to discuss today is uh, the nature of free will, the argument for free will, the people who are making arguments against free will, which would be determinism, and uh, I have a little theory on this, you know, of course, the debate between free will and determinism is a a pretty age-old debate, philosophers have been uh, debating this since uh, probably the beginning of uh, mankind, however, it does seem like there is a bit of a rise in this idea of determinism. And uh, my theory is that it might be pretty convenient for what I call the parasite class uh, to, you know, lead people to believe that they have no free will. I think that is a convenient narrative uh, for people to believe if uh, one wants to enslave the population. So I I don't know that that may be a stretch, but we're going to discuss the uh, philosophical Premises behind both and uh, why he believes we should make the case for free will. So without further ado, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good. Thanks.
0: Yeah. So I I guess we could start with uh, how did this uh, idea for the book even come to you?
1: I picked up a book by happenstance by Sam Harris called Free Will. (laughs) And I like Sam's stuff, but I usually found myself agreeing with him. We could talk about that because I don't on some aspects or uh, issues you feel otherwise, but, but I generally felt simpatico with him. But when I picked up free will, I was uh, hit with a different experience. Mm. A cat is trying to get on my lap.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Oh, well, this is Zephyr. Um, I didn't get his arguments. I didn't understand his points. What he was saying seemed largely circular Uh, Things were interpreted through a determinist framework rather than uh, eliciting from the facts Mm -hmm. uh, reasonable inferences about determinist behavior. I just didn't get it. I was confused. Mm -hmm. I was struck by one aspect, which was his citation of neuroscience studies. He cited Mm -hmm. three neuroscience studies for the proposition that, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, our brains make our decisions before we know what we're going to do next. Uh, and um, he referred to some tests that uh, record a little neural bleep impulse increase uh-huh. right before some rudimentary decisions like flicking a finger or moving a wrist or choosing a button with one of your hands. Uh-huh. And he and other determinists have come to the conclusion that those tests demonstrate that our brains decide for us. And I thought that, wow, that was a pretty good argument. But I knew nothing about those tests, and I hadn't read them, and I took his word for it. Uh And wow, every time, that's pretty persuasive. Something happens that we don't know about. So I went and I looked at the tests, and I found out, to my surprise, that they said nothing of the kind. Mm-hmm. They didn't endorse determinism. They refused to endorse determinism. They found correlations that proved there was no causal connection between these impulses mm-hmm. and the movement. Right. Uh, and their central measurement was discredited. It was discredited by other scientific tests. And we can talk about all of these steps if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an interpretation about what these uh, neural increases meant. And there were many other interpretations that are equally or more plausible. Okay. And he didn't mention in his book. Mm -hmm. And then I found there was a long line of contrary studies, which says, hold on a second, that particular neural impulse, uh, which they call RP or readiness potential. It's in the motor cortex. And most of the tests are based on monitoring what happens right before this, this movement. Um, a number of contrary I said, wait, that's not what it's about at all. There's other explanations that have nothing to do with the RP. And none of this was mentioned in his book, which was making a, you know, a global conclusion, a global metaphysical truth about human nature based on studies that said nothing of the kind. I mean, the authors didn't say that their tests proved or demonstrated neural brain determinism. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting fact to wake up to. <laughs> right Test for the opposite of what they actually said and that embarked uh a journey uh in which i explored the issue because i thought perhaps we weren't getting the most accurate representation of such matters which we weren't
0: mm-hmm. And right. that led
1: in the direction where it led
0: right and here
1: we are determined, yeah. determined or not
0: <laughs> or or self-determined, perhaps.
1: Or self-determined.
0: Right. Yeah. So, when you... Let's start with what, what... In what ways did you feel simpatico with uh, Sam Harris? Where would you say you were aligned? And why did this uh, strike you as such a contrast?
1: Well, I was aligned with some of his political mm-hmm. observations. But more than anything, I thought that he... Uh, projected uh, a a willingness to entertain opposing ideas, to question himself. Mm -hmm. There are some podcasts in which he said, you know, I got to backtrack here, and I confess I was hasty about this, or my tone wasn't right about that. There's this famous early encounters with him and Jordan Peterson where they squared off and, you know, dug their heels in, and afterwards he did a big, long expose about his own uh, lack of top behavior, that he to meet his own standards so in that respect i thought he was a pretty uh open uh guy who was willing to honestly explore his own foibles and that struck me as being rather rare <laughs> so that's what impressed me most
0: right right and so with these studies um what did they so what, they had shown that they i haven't read this book by the way um but so they showed that There were there was activity in the brain before. um, I did see that debate. Um, I I thought that Sam Harris did not do a very good job of making his case at all. Um, But uh, so in this
1: first debate, there was a series of them. But in the first debate on four, boy, they just went at it about the nature of truth.
0: Four, right? Yeah, four debates.
1: Yeah, but I think the first one was the big square off. Right. Then they did some podcast to patch things up, which was. Which I thought was admirable.
0: Sure, sure. So um,
1: that's where I became a bit sympathetic uh, no. until I read Free Will.
0: Right. <laughs> well, I, I was I was less referring to uh, personal. I, w- I was just saying that I I didn't think he made the argument very well. I didn't think he you know defended his position. Um, just you know, I didn't think that it was convincing. So that that's just my my observation but so you're talking about these studies so you said that there's uh there they were monitoring brain activity in these studies and so there was activity in the brain prior to a decision being made and and he derived from that that it meant that the brain had already decided correct well you think this makes no sense i mean just for for the audience listening i mean you have brain activity for a multitude of reasons and none of them might have anything to do with decision-making. So it's it's kind of, there. there's no reason to draw a conclusion that a, decis- a decision was made prior just because there was activity in the brain.
1: Well, there's a half dozen reasons not to. Conclude. That's what I'm
0: saying, yeah.
1: Including the fact that the authors of these tests don't endorse determinism. They don't conclude that their studies demonstrate mm-hmm. a causal connection between this increase in neural impulses Mm -hmm. and these rudimentary motor decisions. Mm They fail to find them. They find correlations in the 65% range. One of the authors, Haynes, says it's barely above a coin toss. Mm -hmm. He said, don't take this to mean that I found causal relations. I have not. Mm -hmm. Of course. And none of the other two studies that he mentions – uh, makes the same conclusion one of them actually does but then that author repudiated his findings mm-hmm. his findings that there was a causal connection although the way he wrote that wording doesn't really quite say that but it's been interpreted to say that anyway he reputed it in mm-hmm. subsequent studies in which he said we have a veto power we have free will
0: mm-hmm. yeah sure. so none of
1: the authors endorse determinism and that's when I started wondering, wait, this is the guy who I thought had a lot of integrity, and I guess he does, but what, why are these studies saying the exact opposite? So just to be clear about what's going on here, they started in about 1984, 83 or 84, with a guy named Benjamin Libet. Okay. And he recorded neural activity in the motor cortex, and specifically what he called readiness potential, or mm-hmm. RP, short. And he mm-hmm. monitored what was going on at the levels of that neural activity the right. subjects would decide and he, he he monitored or measured three things it was that slight rise or increase or ramping up in RP signals mm-hmm. the moment the subject thinks or experiences making a conscious decision the moment they're moving their finger or pushing the button they decide to do it quote unquote and then the third thing is when the movement actually starts And what Libet found is there's about 350 milliseconds, about a third of a second, between the start of that RP activity or the ramping up of it, the increase of it, and when subjects reported to have made a conscious decision to move. And then there was about a fifth of a second or 200 milliseconds between that conscious decision, quote unquote, and the actual movement, the button press or the wrist flick. Right. Right. Um And on that basis, he initially concluded, or gave some language which suggested he concluded that the brain prepares making decisions or the brain makes the decision, or is involved in the preparation of the decision. He also said, at the same time, and this is not quoted by Harris, and, and I don't believe it's in no, it's not in Sapolsky, that if anything, these tests are limited, to simple motor decisions, moving a finger. They don't apply to anything else, anything more complex, anything deliberative. Mm -hmm. And there's a long line of cases that say, look, these aren't even decisions. The subjects Mm -hmm. were told to wait for an urge to move. Well, that's not Mm -hmm. like deliberating, where am I gonna send my daughter to college? Mm -hmm. That's just an urge to move. And the subject actually is instructed to maintain a passive viewpoint, not in all tests, but in the initial, line of studies is starting to live it. And then when they feel that urge to move, move. So many commentators say that's not a decision at all. Mm -hmm. We can start right there. But that's the basic setup of the test. They want the increase in a neural impulse in the motor cortex, when the subject reports they made the decision, and when the actual movement starts. Yeah. Now, the central measurement, when the subject thinks they've decided to move has been subject to numerous other studies and it can't be determined. You're talking about tenths of a second.
0: Right.
1: You decide when to blink. Okay, tell me when you did. Was it a tenth of a second? You know, right. and they, they look at a clock and they have to identify where the dial was or the arm was on the clock or the number at that moment to a tenth of a second. So there's numerous studies that say, when a subject thinks they've experienced the sighting is, is is inaccurate, it can't be done. It certainly can't be done to tenths of seconds. And right. it's influenced, highly influenced by what comes before, what comes afterwards. Harris admits this as, is himself in a footnote of two or three pages long in the back, in right. which he essentially says, these tests are unreliable. They record a retroactive estimate. Those are his words, perhaps quoting some of the studies, that that subjects aren't really reporting when they decide they're estimating after the fact Mm -hmm. now he says this without realizing that he's discrediting all the tests he's citing right another purpose to show that 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 we can't rely on our experience of deciding because it's often wrong and there's tests that show that you think you're moving this or that but you're not moving it and that's what he's referring to But he doesn't realize that that's a terrible double-edged sword because he's discredited the central measurement of the test that he's putting forward to prove that we don't have free will.
0: Well, I mean, I would just even step back before that. I mean, I think the test is a horrible indication of whether free will exists or not. I mean, you're predicating this on whether or not the brain makes the decision. Now, a brain can make a decision, and that still doesn't negate the possibility of Free will. I I, I just, because free will, would I I would argue, and I mean, maybe this is where the question really should reside. I mean, I think free will has more to do with uh, consciousness than it does to do with neurological activity. I mean, I don't think it's a mystery. We don't need these studies to prove that the brain, uh, you know, is involved in our motor functions. We know that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, of course, the brain gives signaling. uh, If I'm going to pick up this pen... You know, yes, the brain signals to, you know, through my nerves to the muscles and, you know, then it's a neuromuscular coordination. Then I pick up the pen. So, I mean, that just seems like the whole the whole testing is a faulty premise for what it is they're supposedly testing. And it has nothing to do with free will. I don't even understand why that was. Yeah, it doesn't seem relevant at all.
1: Well, the tests prove that there's no causal connection. If, if they demonstrate anything, I think determinists got hung up on the idea that the increased neural impulse proceeded for a fraction of a second when subjects reported making their decision. If that decision were to be assumed accurate, which it isn't, but let's assume but, it, is it is.
0: But again, but again, the reason that this is, uh, in my opinion, I, I feel like it's just a faulty study is because then you're, you're eliminating the, the, the subconscious element. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know you're saying they got the terminus hung up on the fraction of a second or whatever amount of time it was, but when mm-hmm. someone acknowledges that they've made a decision, that doesn't mean that there's not a process that has incurred before that. I mean, all of us can mm-hmm. you know, recount times where, we may have had, a, usually this applies to bigger kind of decisions, but something we've been thinking about for a very long time, right? And then all of a sudden we had an impulse and we actually just did it. Mm-hmm. And it's not like in that moment, oh, I just became overwhelmed and like, you know, I just did this thing. There was all this going on in the subconscious realm where I'm, you know, mm-hmm. weighing the pros and cons and, uh, you know, the uh adjudication of risk versus reward. There all these things are going on. There's an interplay. Mm-hmm. And I might not be fully aware that I'm processing all those things, but they're very much factors in mm-hmm. my de- decision making process. Now obviously when there's something much more simple, uh, you know, like lifting my arm, picking a pen, picking mm-hmm. up a pen, uh, you know, all of that gets simplified mm-hmm. uh greatly, but it there's still so I just I feel like I understand where they're going because they want to quantify, but mm-hmm. it's just they're quantifying mm-hmm. something that I think is a, a very limited scope in terms of the question they've asked.
1: Well, you're giving them more due than they deserve by saying they're quantifying anything because they took that prior moment. and then No, I didn't
0: say they quantified anything. They, I said I, I understand. They thought attempting. they were. No, okay. I said they're attempting to. They want to is what I said.
1: Fair enough. I am the you.
0: That's okay. I mean, I understand that that's part of the study. You want to quantify something. I get that. But I'm just saying that it, it doesn't even seem like the appropriate means to quantify the question they ask. It's too narrow scoped for the question they asked.
1: Exactly. So they take this prior bit of time and they put on an interpretation, it's a determinist interpretation. It's a self-fulfilling concept to say, oh, that little bit of a rise is a decision. Where do they get that idea? How can they show it's a decision? That's their interpretation. Numerous other studies say, wait a second, it's preparatory activity. You're thinking about an upcoming decision. You're there to make a decision. You're thinking about the rules. You're waiting and looking and anticipating for that moment, whether it's an urge or what have you. A lot of things are going on, as you say. Free will advocates aren't denying the fact that there are neural correlates in our brain. Everything no. we do has a neural correlate. Yeah. The question is whether we're enslaved to them, and this test doesn't show anything of the sort.
0: Yeah.
1: To the self-fulfilling interpretation that this thing came first, well, guess what? There's lots of intentions that came before that. How about you decided to participate in the study, and you decided yeah. to follow the rules, and you listen to the rules, and you're interpreting what to do, et cetera, et cetera. No, no, no. It's just they're taking a little tiny slice of time and then putting on an interpretation that's self-serving when there's no evidence to back that determination. So, yeah,
0: sorry. I, I, yeah, I mean, obviously there's uh, some confirmation bias uh, built into this. But I, I'm curious, I, I guess I just don't know enough of uh, Sam mm-hmm. Harris's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, background and his uh, position to know why does he take this stance why is it uh, like what compels him to adopt the determinist position and I, I'm, I'm assuming it didn't come from these studies these studies were a, an attempt to prove his hypothesis
1: yes yeah. part of the evidence he offers
0: right but he, he already had this position he's holding this position so I- I'm wondering what where the framework for this position is stemming from.
1: Well, there's a lot of influences at play. Yeah, there's the influence of science. Science looks at the physical world uh-huh. and tries to understand connections, not necessary connections, but patterns. Right. And so there's a scientific orientation in world geo that's at play in our culture and our mindset. Mm-hmm. There's the biology part of it. Uh, we're trained to recognize patterns because that helps us survive Mm -hmm. selected for pattern recognition that doesn't mean we're recognizing causes that's a whole nother question Mm -hmm. but there are regular occurrences that are necessary in order to survive and we have the ability to note those and memorize those oh the lion's den is over there we better not have lunch over there maybe we'll have lunch with the giraffes today (laughs) so there are survival aspects that are biological. Sure, being triggered. Um, there's psychological influence. You know, life is so chaotic and crazy, or mm-hmm. used to be at times, and we never know when we're going to get hit by the proverbial bus. And these kinds mm-hmm. of concerns uh, uh, engender a lot of fear. Sure, and, uh, prompted Dostoevsky to write a lot of books about these kind of things.
0: It's true, yeah,
1: and others. And uh, there's something about determinism that is psychologically appealing. In the sense that, oh, everything is ordered; everything happens as it must. Mm-hmm. Nothing is chaotic or random. Everything has its place. Well,
0: I think it absolves people of responsibility. I think that's the part that they, you know, feel most comforted by is, and they are not; uh, they don't have to take ownership for the choices they make.
1: That's another big influence of play. I think there is several, and that, that's certainly one of them. Maybe, maybe one of the biggest. Maybe the biggest. Mm-hmm. It's an excuse not to take responsibility, because at the end of the day, if we don't control our thoughts, if we don't control our actions, then we're victims. Right. We're victims to causal forces. We're victims to circumstance. You know, we can't choose what we do. We can't influence others. We can't influence the world. We're powerless. Right. And that's the alternative that's being put in front of us by determinist doctrine. And as you say, how can you be responsible for actions that you don't control that you can't prevent that you didn't originate that you didn't consent to that you didn't want right what what could responsibility possibly mean so you're right it's a ready-made excuse to go well you know we're determined and even if you don't say that consciously something's registering back there the world is determined it's a framework right so there's always doubt whether you're really making that decision. You don't have to consciously think about it all the time. It just permeates one's worldview.
0: Right. Yeah, that's very true.
1: Hey, I'm not responsible. It was the Twinkies. The devil made me do it. Causal forces made me do it. (laughs) It was predetermined that I'd rob that bank. Right. Really? Harris, okay, you. you had an ownership in the bank, but that's what my subatomic particles told me to do. I couldn't do otherwise.
0: Right. Um, that that's interesting. So that what he just found was uh, you know, the from the New Atheist uh movement. Uh the author Robert Murray nineteen eighty-six book, The New Atheism, he republished it in nineteen ninety-four. He called it the New Atheist, Gordon Stein, Dennis McKinsey, and Freedom of re- Freedom from Religion Foundation as the New Atheist. It didn't. The book didn't do well. Later, American journalist Gary Wolf used it in 2006 to describe positions of some atheist academics, writers, scientists, and philosophers of the 21st century. It advocates for the view that superstition, religion, irrationalism should simply not be tolerated. Instead, they should be criticized, countered, examined, and challenged by rational argument, especially when they exert strong influence on broader society, such as in government, education, politics, major. Figures of new atheism include Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, Daniel Danette, collectively referred to as four horsemen of the movement, as well as Ayan Hirsi Ali, until her conversation, uh, conversion to Christianity in 2023. Interesting. But there are determinists who are not uh, atheists, correct?
1: Sure. I was going to say, looking at that list and, and that definition, there's nothing in there that says that you... Have to be a determinist right or you have to believe in free will right the only thing that touches upon it is superstition and irrationality and since determinism is a both that definition really says that you you really can't be a determinist you shouldn't be a determinist because it's irrational and there's no evidence for it but other than that you're right it it, it does seem agnostic and defined that way you, you, and you believe in rationality and take irrational positions like the world is determined or here
0: mm-hmm.
1: is due to causal forces. Right. But in and of itself I agree with you atheism doesn't demand that you right. pick a determinist or a free will advocate.
0: Right. Right. You could be you could be either. I, I think there I I mean I I'm pretty sure I know atheists who believe in free will. So yeah. So what would your uh, argument for free will be? Let's start with that.
1: Well, my argument is is, is that it's not the best candidate, but it's the only one that's qualified for office because determinism is so fundamentally wrong on every basis that you can imagine scientifically and philosophically and conceptually and otherwise, not to mention the fact that there's no evidence for it whatsoever, that by default, you're left with free will. Now, it does have some advantages. It's the only basis for moral truth, the only basis for personal responsibility that doesn't necessarily make it true that just happens to be the case but um i think it's like most elections you're 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 voting for you're voting against rather you're voting against the least qualified candidates you're not voting for the perfect one because at the end of the day nobody's proved that there's free will it seems to be against various aspects of science and some fundamental attributes that science attributes to the universe. That's very much in question, but I'm gonna put it that way for the moment, seems to be against bulk of science. It actually isn't when you dig down into it and nobody knows the mechanism by which conscious intentions could influence physical reality. So it's not the perfect candidate. There's just no better one right now. My personal opinion is that in the future, uh, a new paradigm is gonna come along that we don't have now that will resolve a number of questions that can't be resolved. Uh, free will is one of many that require, I believe, a new paradigm. It ain't going to be solved with how we're looking at reality right now. I think there's other answers to come in the future that we can't conceive of. And given the rapid pace that physics has you know, overturned itself and revolutionized itself and overthrown prior ideas just within the last century, it's so phenomenal that when you think about what physics is going to be like in 500 years, in a thousand years, you'll be laughing about ideas like free will and determinism, because there's going to be other principles that, that supersede them, that we have no conception. I mean, we are locked into a framework and the way we look at the world hasn't solved the free will question in two millennia. Mind-body question hasn't been resolved. We don't know if matter, matter is a wave or particle. We don't know why relativity theory conflicts with quantum mechanics. I mean, there's so many dualisms that science cannot resolve; that philosophy can't resolve.
0: Right. Well, I think that
1: uh I'm sorry. Go ahead. It seems like a new paradigm is is is, is called for.
0: I, I would I would argue that some have been presented. I think uh, the you know the, the fundamental problem lies in the duality uh, as the framework you know i think that if you look at a another element being you know like the du, the duality of the mind body right the the descartesian De- question i uh, i think that the, that kind of has been answered right um but i i mean not everybody accepts the the new paradigm the new paradigm i would argue is something like it's not just mind or body it's mind and body and possibly spirit right it's a, mm-hmm. a combination of all of them that we are comprised of mm-hmm. and that impact uh, our functioning that impact our decision making that impact our our way of being and it's not just coming from the mind not just coming from the body and it's not just coming from the soul spirit if you believe that to be even you know a you know a factor um, but i would argue that there's the most compelling evidence for it to be all three mm-hmm. so i i think that i i just bring that example because i think that's uh, one of the most clear uh mm-hmm. to uh, to showcase the problem of the duality and i i think that that is inherently a metaphysical problem i mean i see it constantly with the you know the, uh, the materialists versus the spiritualists and you know the the reality does seem to kind of lie somewhere in the middle. It's an interplay between the two. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of, uh, not, not to pick on anyone on either side, but, you know, there are people who are very uh, religious or deeply spiritual who argue that, you know, this the here and now doesn't matter because it's all about the eternal. And I would argue, even if that were true, I still have to function here on Earth day to day with, okay. you know, material, uh, you know, objects and realities. And so, therefore, I the material and physical realm does concern me. Uh, but by the same token, there are other people who say, well, there is nothing beyond the here and now. And we should only concern ourselves with what is, you know, in the present, in the physical domain. And I would argue that, you know, that might be a little bit short-sighted. I mean, it's very clear. I feel like it's really hard to deny that there is some sort of a, you know, whether you call it soul or spiritual, or if you're religious and you, you know, call it a a higher divine uh, being, God, whatever that may be, uh, you know, depending on your worldview, it's pretty hard to deny that there is something, you know, greater than us and the here and now and the physical domain. So I think that the only logical conclusion to derive from that would be that there is Uh, an interplay between the two, that they're interconnected. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the biggest problem is that so much of our uh, frameworks and paradigms do, uh, they're immersed in this duality. Uh, You know, just that that's the framework. And I I honestly think that that is by design because a lot of the, you know, the the measurements in place, the uh, institutions in place for people to learn these sort of things uh, are invested in us being mm-hmm. uh, caught in one or the other, you know, in choosing a side and not fully comprehending. There's some that is just human limitation. I mean, we live in a 3D world. We are 3D beings. We are only capable, uh, as, far as I know, at least at this time, uh, because you're talking to somebody who has spent countless hours staring at a simulation of a Tesseract. I have tried to perceive a fourth dimension, and I can... Kind of, you know, but I can't fathom it. You know, it's not, it's beyond my comprehension. I I can intellectualize it. I can see the model and I can derive theories about it and make inferences about mm-hmm. what it might entail and what it means, but I can't really fathom what the fourth dimension would be. Mm-hmm. So that's just a limitation of my human experience. Now, that might not be true in 500 years. I don't know, um, but you know, for, for, for here now. So I think there are some things that are just, you know, we are limited with our perception, but I think there's also um, limitations that have been placed by the paradigms uh, we've been indoctrinated with. So.
1: That's all true. And what else could explain the fact that determinism doesn't even get the science, right? I mean, there are unresolved scientific questions. Mm -hmm. Is the world deterministic? Mm -hmm. Does it? free will from the get-go mm-hmm. or is it probabilistic which would permit the operation of free will mm-hmm.
0: science doesn't know
1: quantum mechanics is split about it mm-hmm. so when you say the world is determinist would determinist deterministic mm-hmm. and you make global claims about behavior being the result of physical forces you're presuming to know the answer to scientific questions about which there is no consensus science science doesn't know the answer to that mm-hmm. question right So determinism is leapfrogging over a handful of fundamental questions about the nature of reality, and that's its biggest problem.
0: Science doesn't know anything. Science is a method. So we Mm -hmm. can conduct a a series of studies. We could ask uh, questions, but, I mean, science wouldn't know determinism. Science could put forth studies, and they could, uh, you know, Test their hypotheses that might be proven or disproven or left, mm-hmm. you know, unknown. But I mean, science isn't a collective like bank of knowledge. It's not a. <laughs>
1: but this is where determinist evidence largely comes from. Mm-hmm. They largely build their case on the basis of science. And science doesn't even. But say-
0: I, I'm just rejecting that premise on the face of it because oh. there is no science. There is a scientific mm-hmm. method, which means that you could. Uh, have a hypothesis so let let's just for the sake of this conversation you know mm-hmm. right now let's just uh, say i assume the position that determinism is real and that uh we our lives are are predestined and our uh earth everything has already been predetermined and coordinated so now science can't tell me yes or no what science what the scientific method can do is provide an opportunity for me to frame a hypothesis and then conduct a study to test that hypothesis. So mm-hmm. I would have to find something that would be a, you know, ideally a controlled study that would test whether or not my life would start with me has been predetermined. Now I, I can't think of anything that would really prove that right now, but you know we could come up with a study and then. I I, I, guess, I just said that I don't think there is either. But let's just say that I could, and then I would test it, mm-hmm. and then it would either be proven, disproven, or mm-hmm. remain uh, inconclusive. But I'm just saying the whole of science can't say like you can't say science has decided. That's a that's not how that works. It's a method. Mm-hmm. You, you you conduct a test. It's proven, disproven, or mm-hmm. remain inconclusive. So, isn't that
1: amazing? I mean, there's a popular podcast host, a physicist named Sabine Hassenfeld. Okay. She has a terrific podcast on physics. Okay. But when she talks about free will, she goes off the deep end. Mm-hmm. And she Bye. says things like going against determinism is going against science. Well, she has to know that that's untrue because there's okay. over a dozen quantum theories and they disagree about everything, including about determinism. So it may be her selected version of science. But she's well, not even accurately saying what science says.
0: Right. Well, it's not even saying what science says. I mean, that's just not an accurate definition of what science is. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, uh, I, her <laughs> definition is uh, presuming that science is, like, somehow an entity. There she is. Yeah, science is not an entity. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, science is a method. So there's, like, a, I, I mean, unless you're subscribing to, like, a cult of science, I, I mm-hmm. that just statement doesn't make any sense at all. So it's well, it doesn't,
1: if she were to be accurate, really to be, to well, use. Could the, you could say
0: scientists have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, many scientists agree, or many scientific studies, you know, have uh, come to a similar conclusion. You could say something like that, but you can't say science is proven. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just an illogical statement. It makes no sense based on the definition of what science is. Science well, you is It's a method of inquiry and investigation.
1: And and you could go back to Hume's argument, which completely Mm -hmm. supports that. And nobody's really refuted him. Hume said, look, you look around the world and you don't see causation. What you see is repeating patterns that Mm -hmm. recur with regularity. Mm -hmm. You see regular appearances of things. You see what he called constant conjunction sequences that Mm -hmm. recur with some frequency that are consistent. That's all you see. You don't see causation. There is There there
0: there. are causations. There are things that...
1: Well, his argument, I think, supports your position. He's saying, look, we have an expectation Mm
0: -hmm. that certain
1: sequences will recur. That doesn't mean that they will, and they don't have to.
0: Right.
1: So, causation really is an expectation. It's not something objective out there in the world. Mm -hmm. And how I relate that to what you said is that... Science can find all the correlations and all the patterns they want. That doesn't mean there's a causal connection,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is called a necessary connection. Yeah, and yeah. that's what you'd have to have if you want to say the world is determined.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: So I think that's partly an argument that supports your position. Science can say whatever it wants. It's found various patterns. It's got hypotheses. The science can't it say matter.
0: anything. It does that
1: have to do with causation. I'm
0: sorry. I'm going to sound like a broken record, room. say it again because it's oh. important. It is important. Science can't say anything. Scientists can say things. We mm-hmm. can point to scientific studies and say that the conclusions have been derived based on these mm-hmm. studies. But mm-hmm. science does not say anything. I mean, it's like Fauci saying, I'm the science. I mean, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't work that way. That's not what science is. So I.
1: Did you say Fauci?
0: Yeah. You know, he said, I'm the science. Um, Was he a
1: determinist? We need to know.
0: I, I, I have no idea if he's a determinist, I, right. <laughs> that, that, but uh, he he thinks he's the science. I guess trust the science, right? But I, well, so I it determinists
1: is- think that they're the science because they're presuming to know the answer to scientific questions that are unresolved, and scientists concede they don't know.
0: Right? So How would determinists
1: I, just, know the answer?
0: Right. I'm just I'm drilling this on because it is really important. Yeah. No, it is important. It's important. We, can, we can't say science knows anything. Um, this is part of how they have uh, created so much propaganda mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, is by convincing us, I, not us collectively, I, I I mean proverbially. They convinced many people and they've convi- They've succeeded. Many people believe that there is science that has determined. It, science does not determine anything. That's not what science is. Mm-hmm. Science is a method. As I said, you test, you put forth the hypothesis. You create a study. You test that hypothesis. Ideally, it is a controlled, you know, environment. You test that study. You test that hypothesis, and then your hypothesis is either—I'm going to say it again—proven, disproven, or inconclusive. And from there, and and one of the first rules of science, as a uh, Feynman said, is that there's nothing that can be proven. Right. That that was one of the first rules of science because. There could you. It's just. It really just means there's a you. You have derived a conclusion based on an experiment that you've conducted, and then that may withstand some time until more evidence comes forth. So it's not about proving anything, even. It's about testing and uh, you know measuring the results. So. I, 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 sorry that I feel like I, I really drilled it home, but it really is important, especially with what we're up against today because that, that is so that is how they convince so many people to buy into false narratives is mm-hmm. by convincing them. Science has decided the science doesn't decide anything.
1: I completely agree. And when you study determinist doctrine and the arguments that are made citing science, mm-hmm. they're committing an even greater felony. Okay. Because not only are they assuming that your point is wrong, that there are limits to science and there are questions that are not in the scientific realm that science can't answer, mm-hmm. that sure. science doesn't say anything, as you put it, about such matters. But right. not only that, they misquote the science. They get wrong what science does say. Science does provide evidence of various things.
0: Or you mean scientifically. They
1: evidence that the world is determined and it doesn't they get the science wrong so if you're going to quote science
0: you don't get the science wrong they may mis- misinterpret studies that have been done by scientists no no
1: they get it wrong for example let's let's go to quantum physics they get it wrong no they trust me them. hang on one second i'll, well, I'll, I'll prove it to
0: science. You. okay okay prove it yeah I love that
1: quote by Fe- Feynman. It says, anybody who thinks they understand quantum physics doesn't understand quantum physics. You must have heard that quote. It's a great quote. Yes, that's great. Um, proving, proving what you're saying about science, um, mm. at least one of the points. No, they get it wrong. When Sabine Sassenfelder says going against determinism is going against science, she's misquoting science. Science doesn't say that the world is determined. That is an open question. Mm-hmm. Some, some physicists and theories believe it's probabilistic some believe it's deterministic and she knows that and she knows that among the three most talked about theories two of them are deterministic and one of them is probabilistic and she knows about that about the 30 quantum theories that are out there because there is no official quantum theory there is no official quantum science there's a bunch of conflicting theories and they conflict about everything including the idea that the world's determined or not so when she says There's scientific evidence. Science supports determinism. Going against determinism is going against science. She is getting it wrong. Science hasn't decided that. It's just an open question. And physicists concede it's an open question. Whether they believe the world is determined and causation exists and governs the universe, whether they agree about it being probable, whatever their theory is, whatever their best guess is, whatever they're inclined to believe, it hasn't been established. Mm -hmm. It is not resolved. There's no consensus. And she knows that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So if she really wanted to be conscientious, she'd say, look, this is an unresolved question. Science doesn't know whether the world is governed by causation. Science doesn't know if causation exists. If she wanted to be more direct about it, I'm giving you my preferred interpretation. But when she says to an audience that hasn't studied this stuff, Going against determinism is going against science. She is misquoting science. She is getting the science wrong, and she's misrepresenting the state of science. So that's what I meant.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: Said, she's misusing the
0: word. <laughs> I mean, very and simply. And misrepresenting what, I mean.
1: what it is or what the state of science is. Mm-hmm. You don't have to believe that science says anything about these issues, with, on which I agree with you, to mm-hmm. say that you can at least get right what it is saying, And determinism doesn't. It ignores all of these open scientific questions. Now, you can say science doesn't give evidence on that anyway, and I agree with you, and that's partly Hume's point and partly a number of others who make that point in various ways with various arguments. But at the foundational level, if you're looking to really decide whether you should believe in determinism, at least demand that they get the science right and admit that these are unresolved questions.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at least use the word science correctly. That's a good start. Um, so, what are what are some other arguments that they have made in favor of determinism? Why why do they believe that? Besides from these brain studies, which to me are just completely bunk studies. I mean, they they prove nothing in terms of the question of determinism. It's, it's almost irrelevant.
1: I mean, well, Sapolsky's book is is the hot topic in this area right now.
0: Okay. I'm not um, familiar with him.
1: Well, he's an evolutionary biologist. Okay. Horrific guy, it seems, and has a lot of knowledge about biology okay. and neurochemistry and, and of that like. And he's got a great series on on biology and evolution that you can find on YouTube. But again, when it comes to the free will question, he hits a speed bump and you say, what are the arguments? My God, ask the question, what are they? There are no arguments. His Mm -hmm. book is filled with studies that have nothing to do with determinism and free will. Absolutely nothing. And he offers them as examples that demonstrate or go towards demonstrating that were determined. He offers studies about judges who deal harsh sentences or harsher sentences on the whole, as a tendency when there's a bad smell in the courtroom. Now, what the hell does this have to do with determinism? What does it have to do with anything?
0: Nothing. <laughs> I mean,
1: seriously, whether we're determined or not, we can all believe there he is, there's the man. He, We live in a world of physical physicality. As you've well pointed out, there are neural brain correlates that has nothing to do with whether brains make decisions, the fact that there's activity all the time in the brain okay we have a bodily platform that we operate through whether we're determined or not so when judges get irritated
0: Mm -hmm.
1: unconsciously because there's a bad smell in the courtroom there's a reason for that our (laughs) biological platform sends us signals that help us survive and irregularities in the atmosphere tell us something is wrong and we get irritated and irritation is another signal so is it any mystery that we, when we're irritated, we deal harsher sentences? I mean, come on. What does that have to do with free will? And by the way, 70% of the judges or some such uh, dealt harsher sentences. What about the other ones that didn't? Mm-hmm. And What does that say about what those judges actually did under the circumstances? Nothing about trends or tendencies relates to determining specific behavior. It relates to how groups behave on the whole. And guess what? How groups behave has to do with intentions and interpretations and meaning and significance, things that aren't found in the laws of physics. So that's the kind of study he offers. Another one that it comes to mind, he says that when you flash faces, real quick face flashes to subjects mm-hmm. in an experiment. And their faces of other races, there's a face or two. Everyone. Um, when you, you flash uh, 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 faces of another race, 70% or some high level, but non causal, of groups have uh, some amygdala activity, the fear center of the brain.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: All right. What does that have to do with determinism? What does that have to do with free will? Nothing. Nothing. First of all, it's only a percentage. Second of all, what does it indicate? Does that indicate that the amygdala, without any meaning or significance or past history or traumas or decisions your parents made to move into a segregated neighborhood or not, all of which are bound up in what these neural correlates do, not just our, our decisions or free will, there's interpretations. The study itself, he says, uh, theorized that the 70% group that, whose amygdala responded Lived in more um, de- uh, segregated areas, and, so, you know. So, but but it's like, where? What about all the decisions that led to those? What about all the interpretations? And by the way, maybe if you did this study with civil rights workers, people who devoted themselves to helping other races and people who weren't as fortunate as the dominant races. I,
0: I, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I'm because I would re- reject the whole premise of this entire so. If this were a study that had any kind of relevance to anything, mm-hmm. the only thing that they might indicate is mm-hmm. whether or not there is some kind of instinctual behavior. Do people have a involuntary instinctive behavior? Mm-hmm. But you could do this kind of a study that's, that's with... Yeah, and, and that, you, you might find some correlates there. Oh, but yeah. you could do this study with animals who we know are largely, if mm-hmm. not completely, instinct-driven. And that still did not prove that they are... Mm-hmm. that that indetermin it doesn't prove determinism i, I mean know.
1: is it amazing you
0: instincts and you could have involuntary reactions to things that still did not prove determinism animals i don't think i still think that animals are not uh you know it's, it's not a determinist because they're still <laughs> I, I and i guess it depends on how far you take determinism like is it you know that every single uh, facet of every experience in the universe has been determined
1: absolutely that's what it means i mean everything well, that what happens, happens has with happen
0: what happens with uh, you know an animal when a uh, a human rescues it so now their whole life or was that already predetermined but then that precludes that the human doesn't have free will so it, i mean the, the study just makes no sense that's that's a kind of i would just
1: you asked what some other arguments are. I, know, I don't even I just, think they're arguments. they silliness, to be honest. Because yeah. even, if, even if it were true that 70% of people on the whole in this culture, in this place, during this test perform a certain way, what does that have to do with how individuals behave? And how does that exclude the role of meaning and intention and values in the response? So right. he's like, he's like a, assuming that there's this mechanistic system of brain centers that just go off on their own and we obey their commands. But where did they get the idea to interpret that that's another race? Right. Meaning significance. Again, things that aren't in the laws of physics.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I, I,
1: function on their own. Well, there are I mean, an instinctual level, but not sure. when we're talking about judges making bad decisions. But that's
0: what I'm, I'm saying. I'm saying even if there were instinctual responses, it doesn't mm-hmm. uh, that you don't you can't then conclude determinism mm-hmm. or free will based on, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not there are instinctual responses. I, I think a better study would be and I don't know how they could do it, but a, a better question to begin with would be about consciousness. I mean, I just don't understand why, why all these random kind of biological processes somehow are supposed to correlate to determinism or free will. Uh, that's, it, it seems like consciousness would really be where, you know, the epicenter of the question. I don't know.
1: One would think, but, that, but that's why uh, the new atheists are not rational to the extent that they believe in determinism. They're not logical. They're not rational. They don't care about evidence and they misrepresent the state of science. Based on that definition of new atheism, they're violating their own creed. Yeah. Where does consciousness come into it? Oh, guess what? There's some consciousness going on before you're strapped down in that seat and looking at that clock and and, and deciding to move your finger or not. There are intentions involved. Where did those go? Wipe them away and just look at the mechanics of the nerves. How do the nerves know what to do? How does the amygdala know what to respond to? All of these things are so suffused with interpretation and meaning and values and everything that science denies on a fundamental level and which determinism says don't influence anything. Mental experience is determined. It doesn't influence anything. So how could the amygdala know what to respond to? How could it recognize faces of other races? It's like it so irrationally ignores and isolates and abstracts these mechanistic processes which you referred to at the beginning, brain activity, which nobody denies, and takes them as these mechanistic isolated units independent of what they mean. How would the amygdala know it's, a, it's another race? How would it know how to respond? It's like, you know, you reminded me of of something when you said you don't like people who do this earlier on. I forget your example. It was like people, oh, people about eternity and things like that and the present, there's no present moment. How about people who say there is no self? And you say, well, who's saying that then? (laughs) So who's giving the amygdala the ideas that it's, how would it know what to react to? Right. All of these studies, you get dozens of studies about neural reactions Abstracted from the context and the meaning and significance without which they make no sense, without which they can't operate.
0: right. So, yeah, I, I'm not understanding the studies. The studies just don't make sense to me at all. so they have nothing are there any- to do with determinism.
1: They have nothing to do with. No. It. Like group behavior, tendencies, what you need to, to make the case of determinism is there are causes that you've identified and isolated and demonstrated that cause what you're doing right now, looking down at whatever you're looking at, piece of paper, looking over there, thinking what you're going to ask me next. You need to isolate causes for specific individual behavior in specific circumstances. The fact that judges dole out on the whole some statistical increase of harsher sentences has nothing to do with free will. These, but but you ask for arguments or evidence. This is what you read when you read Sapolsky's book, when he's not misquoting science. I should add.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, he,
1: he does the same thing. He says the well, no, he's more schizophrenic than Harris is. He in one section of the book he says these science studies, these neuroscience studies we talked about. They don't really say anything. They're not very significant. Um, they just say some correlations of what happens in, in artificial circumstances. And then 300 pages later, he says, well, we learned in chapter three, or whatever chapter it was, that the amygdala makes our decisions. And you're going, whoa, 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 whoa. have the exact quotes in my book. I'm just paraphrasing. It's like, right. wait a second. No, that's not what you said 300 pages before. Guess you don't remember
0: The amygdala, I mean, according to most scientists and neuroscientists, they would not argue that the amygdala makes decisions. The amygdala may respond, the amygdala may uh, be more activated or less activated in certain environments, but the prefrontal cortex is where most cognitive... Uh, functioning occurs Mm -hmm. and where most Mm decision-making occurs. And I don't really think any neuroscientist would argue that. So I don't know what this, where where are they concluding that the amygdala has now made decisions?
1: It's a self-serving determinist interpretation that isn't supported by the facts.
0: It's bizarre.
1: But but that's all determinist evidence. I mean, if you really look at it dispassionately and you relate it to what science does know,
0: Mm -hmm. what science
1: does says, does say Nothing supports determinist doctrine, let alone the idea that these tests demonstrate anything about the issue.
0: Yeah, well, I I would say the tests definitely uh, do have nothing to do with determinism. It's poorly framed tests. So... You don't need
1: to read Sapolsky's book because there you have it. Just multiply it in a whole number of different. Well, that's
0: good because I've got a long list of books, and his is definitely not on it anymore. I'm not sure whatever ever was, but it's not on it. <laughs> so let, let's move on to free will. What what would you say the argument uh, for and against free will is? So, and that doesn't necessarily that that can be separate from arguing for determinism. So just because uh, you mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. like you can you can still making a case that there's no free will and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's determinism right I, I think we can acknowledge yeah. that I understand that they've created this you know uh, this dialectic but I, I don't think that it has to be one or the other. I'm not arguing that you know it is one or that it isn't mm-hmm. one or the other. I'm a proponent of free will personally. I think there's much mm-hmm. more evidence to indicate uh, that we were endowed with free will mm-hmm. uh, but that has more to do with my uh, framework, my worldview. So but I, I do think it would be possible to make a case, at least you know philosophically speaking, I'm not saying it would necessarily be a good case. Um, but I think one could make a case that there isn't that you know they can't they can't defend free will. They can't conclude it. Maybe that would be a better way to frame it. They can't say with certitude that there's free will, but that doesn't necessarily make them a determinist.
1: Yes, you're right. Disproving determinism, to say it another way, isn't necessarily proving free will. Mm -hmm. And it largely depends on what you want to consider to be evidence.
0: Right. Um,
1: Let me go at your question a little bit at a deeper level, let's say. What can you prove? What can you know? Right. There's a fundamental flaw in determinist thinking, which if you accept it means you can never, ever say, or make a claim, make a coherent claim that the world is determined, that we're governed by causation, that Mm -hmm. it's not a a logical claim, it's Mm self-contradictory. Now, you can't say that about free will. So let's go through for a second Mm -hmm. why determinism contradicts itself. Mm -hmm. It's because it wipes out any basis on which we can believe something true. Why do you believe something true? Well, if it's because you're caused to believe it, And determinist doctrine is we don't control our thoughts. We don't control our beliefs. What we think is true is what we're caused to believe true. Mm -hmm. If you go that far, which is what determinist doctrine says, then you've undermined the credibility of all truth claims, all of which come from physical causes causing them, and you've undermined your own claims that determinism is true. Because if all beliefs are the byproduct of causal sources, physical events and unthinking physical events at that. If that's what causes what we believe is true, fine. And that's what's the cause, causing what the determinists believe is true. The claim turns around and defeats itself. And there's a category of self-defeating claims that are illogical and incoherent and determinism is one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of somebody who says, nobody knows anything. Well, how do they know that they're violating their own rule it's a contradiction you can't
0: they, prove a negative <laughs> so.
1: it's worse than that if they say that nobody knows anything they're they're claiming that they know something so they're violating their own rule
0: mm-hmm. well, yeah that's true
1: <laughs> if you say there's the, uh, you know nothing is very clear well you've just proved that something is clear which is that nothing is very clear this is a category of self-defeating claims to take it out of the determinist context, it's used most often to criticize postmodernism, mm-hmm. and so many social critics, dozens, have criticized postmodernism, which is the idea in various forms that there is no truth. Truth is a power play. Truth is a way of manipulating it's they, well, people. They,
0: it's more the idea. I, I mean, there are many postmodernists. So yes, there I mean, is. You know, so it's a, they they don't all align 100 percent on everything. No, they but don't. if I were to you know uh kind of simplify into a cohesive uh you know theory i i would say a lot of most of them believe truth is relative that's really it's a subjective relativism
1: okay yes. well we, we we could use that too because if truth is relative then they're making it an absolute unqualified unconditional claim that truth is relative
0: mm-hmm.
1: that that suddenly isn't relative that claim itself right. so I'm well,
0: at I, think a are, I mean, you, you could poke lots of holes in pretty much everything they proposed, but yeah, I think that's... So
1: serious. here's the hole that, that relates to determinism, the specific logical contradiction hole. <laughs> there are uh, 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 postmodernist thoughts that say truth is a manipulation or a power play. Let's take those, if you don't think that's a fair characterization of all of them average, just a simplification. <laughs> But if you say that, 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 that truth is manipulation, there is no real truth, you're making a truth claim. You're contradicting yourself. And many social critics say, how can you say that truth is a power play? That means that what you're telling us is a power play. You're now doing a power play on us by telling us truth is a power play. It's a claim that applies to the speaker and contradicts itself. You can't say there is no truth without admitting that there's truth. So it's a contradictory claim. This is a recognized criticism of all postmodernist claims in various forms. Uh, The The same thing applies to determinists. How can you say all of our thoughts are forced upon us by causal events beyond our control and not admit that that very thought, what you just said, determinist claims, aren't forced upon determinists by physical forces beyond their control? That means they're discrediting their own claim. They're taking away the basis for thinking that anything is true. And that goes back to your question. How do you prove free will? How do you prove determinism? Is disproving determinism proving free will? Well, the first place you have to start in answering that claim is, is to say you can't make truth subject to outside physical forces without giving you any rational, without leaving you, with any rational basis to consider what's true. Mm -hmm. Under determinism, truth is whatever we're caused to believe true. What's rational and reasonable is whatever we're caused to be rational and reasonable. Evidence, good evidence, is just whatever we're caused to believe is good evidence. Mm -hmm. There is no truth in a world that's determined. So determinists are arguing using reason, right, using logic, using ideas to argue for a world in which none of that matters because it's all mechanistic after effects. Mm -hmm. So determinism is fundamentally contradictory. It's a self-defeating claim that's no more coherent than there is no truth. And I'm proclaiming it true. There is no truth. Mm -hmm. You can substitute the words. All of our thoughts are compelled. And I'm compelled to say that. I'm compelled to tell you that all of our thoughts are compelled I don't believe it because it's true. I believe it because I'm compelled to believe it. That's what determinism mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you have to start with it's it's incoherent, and this issue is not on the table in popular Of mm-hmm. course, you won't read it in sapolsky's book. You won't read it in Harris's book. You won't hear them talk about it in their lectures. This is a fundamental problem with determinist doctrine. It's just as fundamental as misquoting science. And presuming to know answers that science doesn't know. Mm -hmm. So I want to throw that on the table Mm -hmm. as a way to look at, well, what's left? And that goes back to my ideal candidate thing. We're talking and using meaning about determinism, free will, and so forth. Those things don't exist in the physical universe. So determinism is a claim that we're governed by physical events or causal events, be they physical or not can't make that claim at least on free will's behalf, you can say that it's not contradictory to say we have free will. you can say science doesn't understand it mm-hmm. true you can say there's no known mechanism by which it works that's true mm-hmm. but when you start to catalog all the scientific issues that are unresolved, mm-hmm. real scientific issues, I'm not talking about the kind that you're dealing with the, the nature of life and so forth and meaning. Mm-hmm. But whether the world is determined, how the the world began, whether it's gonna end, why it's expanding, why matter seems to be a wave under some conditions and a particle under other conditions. What is matter? Science doesn't know what matter is. So there's so many fundamental cosmic questions that are unresolved. How can determinists leapfrog all over those and presumably know the answers and say the world is determined? Now, free will doesn't have that problem. What, what the problem is that you don't, how are you going to come up with hard evidence if whatever you say, a determinist will say, well, yeah, you were determined to think that.
0: Yeah. They've really
1: created a context in which you can't disprove determinism,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Because everything you say, well, yeah, okay, you believe in free will. So your, your experience was caused. I don't have to believe that. No. But they're creating this framework. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, can you, you, you have to think, can you really prove free will? What would it take to prove it? You couldn't prove it to a determinist because mm-hmm. if you you are able to isolate all the conditions in a lab every time you have condition A. Mm-hmm. all your, That includes all your brain cells, all the molecules in your brain cells, all the conditions surrounding it in the environment, everything. You isolate it and you have world condition A, brain state A included. Mm-hmm. And somebody does two different things and has an experience of doing two different things. What will the determinist say? Well, yeah, those experiences were caused too. Those were part of brain state A. So there's no way of disproving it. Right. And you could say, well, how how do you prove free will?
0: You can say, how
1: do you prove free will? And it's possible we are determined. The thing is, if you draw limits to this argument, you have to say this. Maybe we're in a fishbowl, and it's a mechanical fishbowl. And outside that fishbowl are big, huge alien beings, like politicians, you know, alien beings. And they know because they programmed the fishbowl or they went and caught some fish, and they know that whether they're mechanical or they have agency and the ability to affect reality. So they know that, but we can't. When you're inside the fishbowl, there's always the possibility, that determinists will say, that that entire fishbowl and all of our experience is about thinking we have free will, are just mechanical thoughts
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you can't know that unless you're outside the fishbowl
0: right And this is like the allegory of the cave right yeah so I, I, I get that it'd be hard to me I just think that they're not even looking in the right place because they're looking at random biological uh, reactions and to me that doesn't really have anything to do with determinism or free will so and just,
1: they're looking at reactions that are suffused with human meaning and interpretation, and functions that we attribute to free will, and they're taking those for granted as if they're not part of the equation in these reactions.
0: Right. Well, and you, you, we don't really have a means of uh, proving meaning, intention based on uh, you know biological mm-hmm. data points. I mean. just because there's activity in one area of the brain doesn't mean somebody was necessarily thinking a specific thing it doesn't uh mean that you know if a neurotransmitter is higher in one you know than other that still doesn't prove any determinism or free will it just it's just not it's not a good framework i don't know why that's where they're looking um
1: the power of science is one reason and as you say on another level uh, responsibility the whole issue of responsibilities engaged on another level yeah
0: of- I, I was really more just there, it seems like they're looking at uh, neurobiology somehow to answer mm-hmm. this question mm-hmm. of whether mm-hmm. or not there's a determinism and it mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Just doesn't seem like the place to look i would be looking more at uh control studies of decision making mm-hmm. um that are outside of the realm i just don't think we know enough uh, about the brain to make those kinds of mm-hmm. conclusions. I mean, we don't really. Right now, I, I'll go back to it. We don't even know really where where does consciousness come from. We really don't know. That really hasn't been answered. And to me, right. that seems like a much better starting ground if we were to even attempt to answer such a question mm-hmm. than what part of the brain lit up in some scan. Mm-hmm. To me mean, that just doesn't indicate much. Not in not in reference to this question. You know, maybe in reference to other things. I know they claim that, you know, uh, now there's a lot of scientific claims being made about the technology and that they do have the capacity to, you know, read thoughts and to uh, determine and predict behaviors. I'm not so sure how accurate that really is. I don't know that that's really true. I think that might be a lot more uh, messaging and, uh, you know, Perhaps they're that's what they'd like to be able to do, and they're just even setting the narrative that they're able to is a, a way of uh, imposing potential uh, control um, and suggestibility on people. But I don't know that they really have that kind of capacity at this point in time. So, yeah, no. I mean, well, yeah, they have, really they have interpretations.
1: They have self-fulfilling interpretations based yeah. on premises they haven't proven.
0: But yeah, like they talk about this, AI makes non-invasive mind reading possible by turning thoughts into text. And I've seen a lot of these kinds of claims. But I I don't even know what
1: that means. I don't even think that's a logical statement. Non-invasive mind reading. What is mind reading and what's non-invasive? And turning thoughts into text. Well, in a sense, we turn thoughts into reality all the time and influence reality by our thoughts unless you believe we're determined. Mm-hmm. So we're constantly yeah. putting thoughts into action, unless you want to accept unfounded uh, scientific arguments that don't exist about evidence that they hasn't been determined. Right. And when I say we're always, what I'm saying is I'm giving reports about the most fundamental uh, uh, experience we have. We live with a conviction that we have free will. That doesn't make it true. Right. But when I say we're turning thoughts into text, we don't need to read something about IA to know that our most fundamental experience in life, which we live every moment, not believing it, living it with conviction, is that we have free will, that we turn thoughts into text and into actions and into behavior.
0: Yeah. Then- I mean, they're talking about AI technology that like you wouldn't have to type into, Um yeah, so mind reading machines. They, 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 oh, I see now
1: what you're, what they're saying. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I, and I'm just, you know what, saying, what does that
1: have to do with free will and determinism? Nothing.
0: Right, but I'm saying, like, even if they, no, were I, wasn't, I wasn't
1: suggesting you were saying it did, but
0: right, but even if they were to be able to read minds, which honestly I haven't seen, I've seen a lot of claims, I haven't seen any actual mm-hmm. examples mm-hmm. of this really, you know, being put into action, being implemented. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they can't. It's entirely possible. I'm just saying that I haven't seen evidence. I've seen claims. And there's a big difference between evidence and claims. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a big motive to make the claims and to try and convince people that this is a reality. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying that Mm -hmm. even if they were to use some sort of technology like this, Mm -hmm. that, to me, makes more sense Mm -hmm. in terms of trying to determine... Uh, you know, to to answer this question, to attempt to answer this question of free will versus determinism, mm-hmm. something like that would be way more relevant than mm-hmm. looking at a scan, seeing what part of the brain lit up. Like that just doesn't seem to prove determinism or free will in any regard.
1: Well, reading minds doesn't even mean that, that, that our minds are determined, that the activity is determined.
0: No, if, but I'm if, saying... Medicine, if, yeah, no, I'm, not,
1: I'm not arguing against you, but against how a determinist would immediately, because reading minds immediately invokes the implication that oh, we're not in control; it's just going on, and an outside source can read us. Mm-hmm. But if the if the machines were able to pick up some kind of physical wave, some kind of ethereal something that exists, but we don't yet know what 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 that kind of physicality looks like, maybe in 500 years we do and the machines pick it up and they register and record it. it doesn't mean that our thoughts are determined it means they're reading our minds they're recording what we are deciding to say mm-hmm. nothing pulls that out in other words so mind reading is, is it is just is it just a technical thing what are they picking up that allows them to record what's going on the question though of determinism and free will is what are they recording are they recording dominoes of causation falling mechanically? Mm-hmm. Are they recording thought processes that are that are subject to agentic control?
0: Mm-hmm. I, I was just saying that it would make more sense to even use a technology like that to conduct the study than it does to just do a scan and see what parts of the brain have lit up. Because um, you could do a study where, you know, they're so theoretically using this technology to read the thoughts and then monitor behavior actions and you know time frames something like that makes more sense i'm not saying it would necessarily prove uh, anything but mm-hmm. just what they've done doesn't seem to yeah brain scans can translate a person Every can agree more yeah so okay so let's, let's discuss free will and uh what are the cases for uh free will and what what is the what is the implication what's the implication for Humanity and life, if uh, we're one versus the
1: other. Well, that invokes the issue of morality and personal responsibility. Right. But I'd preface that with what does it mean to think that we're victims to fate, that we don't control ourselves, we don't control our thoughts, our actions are in third-party hands, we can't influence anyone. (laughs) That means accepting on a fundamental level that we're victims to circumstance. Mm -hmm. That has a few implications. That ain't a pretty picture. No. And then that leads right into the question of, is there personal responsibility in a determined universe? Mm -hmm. Everything is mechanical. If everything we're thinking and experiencing is the result of physical causes, Mm -hmm. how can we be responsible? And there's a simple answer to that. We can't be. We can't be responsible for actions that we don't control. Right. Right. We can't be responsible for actions that are forced upon us by external events, actions, which we have no say in, which we don't originate and we can't prevent. Now determinists don't like this idea. Wait Mm -hmm. a second here. We have to preserve morality and responsibility. How do we do that? And they can't, and they play games. And the one thing to Sapolsky's credit, Mm -hmm. which is rare in determinists as he spends a fair portion of the book grappling with this question and comes to the conclusion that you can't. You can't reconcile personal responsibility and morality with mechanical behavior and mechanical experiences that are induced by physical events. You can't. They just don't go together. He agrees. Mm-hmm. It's just We're either determined and we aren't responsible for what we do or we, uh, we are determined. And aren't responsible for what they do. I think I said what we do. I think I said that reverse. Or we are responsible because we do have some input and influence over what we do. Mm -hmm. So he comes out that way. Harris comes out the other way. Oh, no, we can have both. And most determinists want to preserve it so badly, talk about confirmation bias that they stretch the limits of logic and reason and who knows what to try and meld these two, and they can't be reconciled. You can't be responsible for what you do with a gun pointed at your head. <laughs> You're compelled to do whatever you do. It's that simple.
0: I would say, even with a gun pointed to your head, you have free will. Um, you know what
1: I was saying? Just as I was saying that, I was saying, well, that's kind of an inaccurate abstraction because, in fact, yeah. you still do have choices. You're yeah. absolutely right. I was using it uh, broadly metaphorically. If you're compelled to do something by the brain cells, by your amygdala, okay, you aren't responsible for what your amygdala forces you to do. And then you get into a broader question of moral responsibility. Well, how can there be moral truth? How can there be moral precepts if whatever you believe, right, is Mm -hmm. enforced upon you? by unthinking physical events, physical events that have no idea what morality is. They don't think they're not alive. They're insentient. They're not conscious. They don't work with meaning. Right. They just do what they do under the laws of physics. So how are you going to extract moral truth out of that one?
0: It's me. Well, you're
1: not, you're never going to be a card carrying determinist. I can tell you that right now.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's pretty sure. I think that that's a very that's accurate good. statement. It's a good guess. Um,
1: well, my amygdala told me so.
0: Oh, I got it. Okay. Um, so what are the cases, what are the arguments in favor of free will? And how have they, yeah, I mean, I again, I, I recognize we can't prove it. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can prove either one, to be honest. I think there's just more evidence on the side of free will than on the side of determinism. But what are the arguments in favor of free will?
1: Well, I think I want to come out first and do what determinists don't do, which is acknowledge what you just said. There are some questions that are beyond the capability of human experience to understand. Mm -hmm. We can't know if we're in this fishbowl or not and whether it's determined or not. But we can't make a claim either way until we get outside the fishbowl. Now, Mm -hmm. their arguments are that we can get outside the fishbowl because human nature, we're self-transcending ourselves. You know, rising above the past and embracing the past, but bringing something that's novel beyond the past. And that would be one of the, one of the potent, most potent arguments about free will. We're not stuck in that fishbowl, we're self-conscious. And self-consciousness is constantly spinning out in time new moments, mm-hmm. on the basis of prior moments, but bringing something novel into the world. Mm-hmm. And again, determinists can negate anything because nothing is, is, is falsifiable. They can mm-hmm. say, Oh, yeah, that's another experience that you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what your amygdala or your brain cells are telling you, whatever. But then they're discounting everything and they're discounting their own claims. Right. What I was trying to make earlier. So, so one of the, the arguments is the fact that we experience it constantly and we're convinced that we do. Mm-hmm. We, we lead our lives with a conviction that we're making choices all the time. How could you lead your lives otherwise? And you might want to ask a determinist sometime. Sapolsky, who do you think is doing these science experiments? Who do you think is doing science? Mm-hmm. What do you think science is presuming about truth and integrity and knowledge and values and accuracy of reporting? See, science is, 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 is suffused with meaning and human values. Well, what else is doing science? Human beings are doing science. But somehow that gets left out of the equation. No, our amygdala is telling us what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so so you might ask a determinist who's running these tests and what values are they bringing to them? And are those values reflected in the laws of physics that are determining what you think? How could they be? Right. So all of those are sort of indirect uh, reasons to believe in free will.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I'd like to do what go to a place where no determinist has gone before. OK except in isolated areas, which is to say we don't know the answer to certain questions in life. Mm -hmm. And we never will. Noam Chomsky makes a good point about this. He says, look, there's just limits to human knowledge. And there's things that we can't know in a given time frame under a given conceptual scheme. Now I'm going beyond human paraphrasing. And there's some things that we'll never know.
0: Yes. I would argue this is
1: obvious.
0: (laughs) I mean, I would argue that's obvious. I mean, that's just doesn't
1: seem to be exactly exactly i mean we're limited to our ideational frameworks we're limited to human capacity we're limited to bodies one of the myths that determinists pound all the time is that to have free will you have you can't be constrained or influenced by anything mm. as you say that neural courts are going off all the time but we're they may be influence us and they may be reflecting our our thoughts the fact that they're there means nothing unless you want to interpret them in a self-serving determinist way. So Harris says, for example, he says, free will, um, to have free will, paraphrased again, but pretty close, we need to know and control all the factors that determine us. Mm -hmm. Putting aside the circularity, he's already assuming that we're determined, we'd have to know and control everything that would determine us. Really? Why would that be? Why do we have to be God to have free will? Nobody who advocates free will, I assume you too, is saying that we can just do whatever we want, nor should we have to, to have free will. Free will decides within limits and circumstances and boundaries and constraints. It doesn't have to free float in a vacuum and decree how the world is going to be, which is what you have to do if you have to know and control all the factors that would determine us.
0: Free will doesn't do any of that. It's a... a Paradigm that whereby humans can make choices because they have the freedom to do so. Free will doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, according to Harris's formulation, and it's echoed in other determinists, you can't scramble some eggs without having created the universe. Because when you decide to scramble some eggs, you're not knowing and controlling all the factors that determine you. What's going on in your head, subatomic mm-hmm. level?
0: I, I know, wait. I, I I missed something. Oh. I missed something. I don't know what you're you're saying that you 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 can't scramble eggs without having created the universe. So that's
1: the determinist argument.
0: But how how is that's that relevant true. to free will deciding things? That's that's where you lost me.
1: It's not. It's not. What I'm tr- what I'm trying to say is that that free will works within circumstances and context. Determinists define it, or some do, with one argument, or some arguments, in an absolutist way. So one argument for free will is that it doesn't have to be absolute. Mm. You can determine things even under influence. We have many influences, and none of them preclude free will. That's the, the problem with Sapolsky's book, is he says, well, you can take any example, judges smelling this or amygdala triggering that. You can take all of these and you would say, on the whole, as single events, they don't really demonstrate free will, but add them up and put them all together, and they do. And all he's doing is adding up influences of group behavior under different circumstances. It has nothing to do with free will. Mm-hmm. So the argument has to do with, You have to look in the right place, Mm kind of, argument. it doesn't prove it. I'm not saying it is provable. It may be provable under some new paradigm in which Mm -hmm. there is no distinction between free will and determinism, something that you alluded to earlier, Mm -hmm. but that may be really well articulated in a new paradigm that we don't have yet. (laughs) But right now we can't say one way or the other. That's where determinists won't go. And it's okay for them to say, we don't know, but here are reasons that we think are uh, legitimate and should be factored into why we believe that that's where things are going to end up, that they can say. Right. And I don't want to make the same mistake about free will and say, I'm telling you we can prove free will because I'm not, or I'm saying we have free will. I'm saying there's no other logical way to make sense of reality. Right. Who's doing science? And the alternatives don 't make any sense, and that 's where I come to we're voting for the most qualified candidate a bunch of less in, uh, running with a bunch of lesser qualified candidates I mean determinism doesn't even make sense. How could we talk be talking about it? We discussed that contradiction here's <laughs> yeah. another one we haven't discussed If the universe consists of deterministic mechanical events bumping into each other and doing their thing mm-hmm. whether probabilistic causal whatever they're doing their thing how is it that these unthinking physical events that don't know what concepts are they aren't part of a law of physics they don't know what meaning and significance is none of these things are part of laws of how do these unconscious unthinking physical phenomena manage to keep forming themselves into conceptual systems internally consistent frameworks Mm-hmm. organized by language and logic and mathematics and meaning and concepts. There's no such thing in the laws of physics. Now, that boggles the mind when you think about it. Why are elementary particles teaming up and behaving in a coordinated way to produce Macbeth or Hamlet? It just boggles the mind. No determinist uh, has ever answered that question. I don't know that they've ever asked it. Again, you won't find it in free will. Harris's book, you won't find it in determinism. How is this possible? Are we really talking about a realistic scenario here? And you could say, well, that doesn't prove free will, and that's the question I asked you. But Mm -hmm. I think the best way to prove it is to discredit the other candidates. It Mm -hmm. isn't any absolute proof. It may not even be proof at all except to say that there's no other possible candidate that makes any sense. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. So what would it mean for the world and for humanity if, uh, if one or the other is, is accurate?
1: Well, the question is, do people really operate on the basis of these abstract beliefs Or do they go about their lives uh, indoctrinated by cultural concerns and other things? Most people don't really think about this stuff. That doesn't mean it isn't percolating through the environment by Mm -hmm. people who do talk about it. Sure. It's part of conventional wisdom. Mm -hmm. Ask somebody who isn't well-versed in this area, they say, oh, yeah, it's determined science. Mm -hmm. Everything we do is determined. And at some level, I would argue that that influences what they think about their ability to make choices. And it's a limitation that hovers in the background. You know, we we have loads of limitations that we put on ourselves and loads of limitations that really are out there. And some combination is such that sometimes we don't know if they're really out there or not.
0: Right. Okay.
1: But, but, But thinking at some level that science prevails and we're all determined should have some effect. On how one goes about one's life, I don't think, however, it's the predominant influence mm-hmm. and, and and you have to you have to realize that there are no determinists. I mean nobody lives like a determinist, nobody believes it in any fundamental sense. They go about making decisions from the moment they get out of bed. they mm-hmm. don't believe they don't practice what they preach it's the ultimate not practicing what you preach. They don't doubt for a second that they're making decisions every moment of the day. It's beyond right. doubt. So, so in a sense, you can say all you want about what you believe, right. it really affects how people go about their lives, except with this sort of way in which mythologies of victimhood permeate culture right. and on the whole you have to think that they would have an effect.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh well, I think definitely it, it would impact the way people behave if uh you could prove one or the other. Uh you know, to me it looks like there is uh, way more evidence on the side that we have free will, uh, if we are looking at it just from a logical that that that's uh excluding any kind of uh, spiritual, religious worldviews because you know, then there's a whole hoax of other questions, right? Uh, you know, then there there's the question: If you have free will, what are you free? What do you have free will from? Right? You, it's you're not just you're free from something. So, um, I think that that uh, you know becomes a it, it's a it's an it opens up a whole another set of questions that we would have to examine. But I do think that if one were to be the case versus the other, it really does impact how humanity functions um and for me i i am a believer of uh free will i think there's way more evidence to indicate that we have free will and therefore we do have responsibility uh, for our choices and consequences for our actions um but that also means that we we have some power uh we have some power over the choices that we make uh which has an Mm -hmm. interconnected uh ripple effect on others and uh, collectively so therefore that the, it follows from that that the individual is of great importance and also uh, you know collectively you brought up several uh, points about some of these studies and their what they inferred from groups um, but we do have a lot of evidence to, from studies that have been conducted uh, and just, you know, empirical evidence, uh, certainly over the past few years, to indicate that human beings do behave very differently uh, in groups versus individually um, when they're isolated or just uh, not necessarily forced isolation, you know, just uh, not uh, as part of the crowd, if you will. And there are many books that have been written about this. You know, Le Bon's crowd is uh, one that comes to mind. But it's the, the psychology of the crowd. Uh, but even in that regard, while humans are herd animals and it might impact their decision-making abilities, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that they're determined. You know, it means that they have chosen to align or be misaligned with the crowd.
1: Yeah, and we're subject to influences. We're subject to peer yeah. pressure and other... Things like that. Sure. I mean, again, determinists don't believe in determinism. You can see their double talk all the time. Uh-huh. When when Sapolsky talks about morality, he says, "Well, we can't." Now, this is a determinist talk. You wouldn't believe it by hearing these words. We uh-huh. can't let criminals run around on the street. Paraphrasing him, we have to lock them up. He says, and, and, and stop them from harming society. Uh-huh. I mean, think about a broken car as this example. If it's dangerous. You're not, you're going to take it off the road and you're going to fix it or you're going to put it in the garage. Mm-hmm. That's determined. is talking. Well, who's going to fix it and put it in the garage? Who's going to determine, no pun intended, whether it should be fixed or uh, put mm-hmm. it in the garage? What values are operating that says that we ought not to harm people? It's mm-hmm. so, resuming free will in every antidote he gives. Right. The idea that we don't have free will and we can't make moral decisions but we do make moral decisions and we do have to retire dangerous cars or criminals. Sure. somebody's doing it. And if you're a determinist, is your amygdala doing it? Is the level of subatomic particles in your body doing it? Well, that can't be the case if you're a determinist. So what you see when you read these books and it's, it's very frustrating. And if you don't want to read them, it will save you this frustration. Yeah. So there's a constant talking out of both sides of the mouth because determinists don't really believe in determinism. Right.
0: So, what do you think motivates them? Why are they uh, doubling down? Why are they so? And why do you think there's a rise in this uh, belief system? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, let's take the first question first because the second one is harder. And maybe you have some. Uh, str- I think you have some stronger ideas than I do, and I'd, and I'd love to hear them. Mm-hmm. But the first question I think is is as a is a play of influence that we as many of which we've talked about. There's this calming psychology. There's the escape of responsibility. Mm-hmm. There's the scientific framework of looking at physical objects and making mm-hmm. connections. There's the biological skill of pattern recognition. A- and behind it all, and I think this is, and there's conventional wisdom, and indoctrination, and mistake. Mm-hmm. But, but I but behind them all, really. Is and I'd be curious on your reaction behind them all—a really fundamental Jungian or whatever you want to call it level. This is the old interplay, you know, between mind and matter, spirit Mm -hmm. and physicality, you know, consciousness and inert material. Yeah. There's a there's a battle between religion and science and soul and 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 uh, matter. Yeah. This sort of is at play behind this free will question. Free will advocates clearly come out on the side of consciousness, non-physical domination, maybe Mm -hmm. spirit, maybe soul, and so forth. Responsibility. Mm -hmm. Terminists or the scientists come out on the side of science and matter and physicality and materiality. Mm -hmm. And lack of responsibility, if you're honest, because we'd be mechanical beings doing mechanical things. Right. So there's that age-old battle between are we mind or body, are we right. spirit or matter? That I think I, is at play.
0: That, 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 the, the, the Cartesian dualism was uh, already debunked, but here we are. We're having this discussion. Um, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to. What do you
1: What do you think? You have stronger ideas, I think, and a grasp on why now it ha- it's, it, it's rising in authority, so to speak. Um. So yeah.
0: I, I have uh, many thoughts on it, but th- there are kind of uh, interrelated. Uh, I think that there is a, uh, as you pointed out, there is a push towards a um, lack of metaphysical uh, framework where we are very much, they want us to be very much seeped in a material realm. This will take us out of any kind of uh, a faith kind of uh, system or worldview, uh, belief. And uh, people who are uh, very rooted in a materialistic worldview are easier to control, to manipulate, uh, and also to foster dependence. You know, things like uh, consumerist models are uh, kind Mm -hmm. of uh, Mm -hmm. dependent upon uh, a materialistic value and uh, metaphysics. Uh, So I think that there's an element of that. Um, I think that there is also people who take personal responsibility are going to be more likely to be independent, self-sufficient, to honor uh, and value individuality uh, versus being dependent or part of a collective. Uh, And those people are going to be more of a threat to those who would want to control or enslave others. Uh I do think that there is, I call them a parasite class. You know, there's a there there are a group of people who want to create a uh, you know, neo-feudal kind of uh techno fascist uh really AI controlled uh world uh, where we're all kind of this this is the other component. I think there is a transhuman agenda, it's a transhuman leading to a post-human agenda. And uh, it is easier to uh, achieve those goals if you've convinced human beings that they are already reduced to a bunch of uh, biochemical uh, you know responses and uh, interactions, and that there is no more significance beyond beyond that, and uh, that there is uh, no more uh, possibility beyond that that it is just this series of uh, You know, biochemical reactions, um, then what difference does it make if those biochemical reactions are from uh, organic or synthetic form? Uh, It makes the notion of a transhuman reality much more palatable if you can you know that's what you've all know harari says how they're going to supersede uh, the biblical god because the biblical god can only create organic life and they will have the opportunity they already have created inorganic life and uh, by that of course you know it is this uh, transhuman type of hybrid that they're you know discussing and describing and i think that if you have a determinist worldview, it makes that uh, possibility and acceptance of that type of future much more palatable and much more conceivable whereas if we are uh beings that are uh potentially divinely created uh endowed with free will from our divine creator uh then to adopt that framework or that possibility this is the up on the screen it's uh the post-humanism handbook apparently there are a few there are many of them this is not the only one there are several authors who have written about this and it is like a guide to the posthuman world this is the vision for the future of humanity which is a you know transcending transhumanism yes pun intended um but it is really about the robotic uh you know kind of like sure behind you future of the world in that will be immersed in an AI world society But if we are humans who are endowed with free will by our Creator, uh, then and we have free will, then it's much harder to accept that kind of a future. It's also much harder to achieve that kind of a future. So I I think that uh, those are some of the reasons why this is surfacing. And of course, a lot of people who are immersed in this worldview are people who worship science And uh, that's why I kept pushing back on the use of the word. The science isn't, it's not a thing. It's not an entity. Uh, Science doesn't do anything. Science is a method. There are scientists, there are scientific studies. uh, You know, there there can be scientific uh, achievements. You can use it to describe something, but it is uh, at the core, it's a methodology. And so to say that science has determined it, it, it just makes no sense. That's a mm-hmm. you know, false use of the word. Uh, it's a fallacy. So, uh, but I think that for somebody who is a, a somebody who believes in scientism versus science, science is a method. Scientism is, I would argue, more akin to a cult or a religion. Uh, and somebody who does worship science, Absolutely. right? So they are much more likely to subscribe to. Uh, and this is not, you know, there's always outliers, but they're more likely to subscribe to this type of a worldview uh, because they are looking at things, as you pointed out, in a very materialistic uh, causal relation, um, and it excludes the possibility or even the exploration of something that is intangible, you know, in the in the metaphysical context something that is, uh, you know, you you had brought up uh, a. a, a Blanking on the analogy, but then I had said, you know, the essentially it's the allegory of the cave, and you know, the people who are looking at the shadows on the wall don't know that there is an, you know, another realm out there, right? There's the uh, Plato put it. It was the intelligible realm. There was the dividing line, and then the unintelligible realm, right? Mm-hmm. And so, the people who are uh, who are locked in that cave and looking at the shadows don't know anything other than what they're looking at. And then the people who come in and tell them, "Hey, you're looking at the shadow," they think they're crazy, because it's beyond their capacity to fathom. It's beyond their comprehension in the literal sense. They are unable, unable to conceive uh, what would be, what that would be, what that would mean. And uh, I think that for people who are very literally seeped. Um, that they're much more, uh, they have a stronger proclivity for that type of framework. And I think that for the people who want to enslave humanity, and I do think they want to create a neo-feudal system that is run by a technocracy, um, it is much easier to do that with people who don't have some sort of a, a spiritual view or belief that they have any kind of power or choice. So... That was long-winded, but that's, those are my thoughts.
1: <laughs> well, there are a lot of good thoughts. Um, I'm not pushing back on you about the limitations of science. I think like you, I'm a functionalist. They, they make predictions. They allow us to get to the moon. It doesn't mean they're revealing okay. metaphysical physical
0: truth. I don't know. <laughs> they, they, they said we can't go back because uh, they, they lost the technology in a garage sale. So I don't know. There is that. But uh, but I think science has made some wonderful and discoveries, uh, some mm-hmm. technology. I mean, we're able to talk on this, you know, interface thanks mm-hmm. to science and technology. Uh, mm-hmm. So, no, I'm certainly not, you know, anti-science. I'm certainly, no. I, I'm a curious person. I love the scientific method. I mm-hmm. test questions. I put forth hypotheses constantly. I test them. Mm-hmm. I do, I've done research projects since I was a kid, literally. So, I'm not a- anti-science, but I don't worship science and i recognize that mm-hmm. science is a tool and there is so much beyond the scope of what science can answer for us so at least at this time
1: yep yeah, and absolutely I, I would second all that and third all that and 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 say that determinism not only looks at science beyond a tool for the revealing of metaphysical truths mm-hmm. but but there. Presuming to know what science says in areas where science says, "Hey, we don't know the answer to this mm-hmm. now that takes some guts, but it doesn't mm-hmm. make for truth, and it doesn't make for a coherent theory mm-hmm. and as you study this stuff you you, you you can't help but getting somewhat incensed by reading about conclusions that our brains make our decisions, and then go looking to the actual studies, which stops yeah. so out, and you go, "Whoa." This is confirmation bias of a cosmic proportion. What is that about? You you flashed a a picture of the Ukraine on the the screen, and I was wondering if you felt that maybe this is a leading question, but I was wondering if you felt that the current time seem, the state of the world seems on a political and geopolitical level so chaotic and dangerous at the moment. And I guess you could say it always seems that way. There's always something, but it feels to me like there's a lot in the air that's mm-hmm. uncertain and mm-hmm. uh, dangerous and that the chaos mm-hmm. of that collective view of what's going on may also be contributing to
0: well i yeah and i would argue that's by design because they do want to advance this deterministic uh type of viewpoint i, I would add the one other thing that i'd left out was uh, in relation to consciousness and i i think that You know, there's a lot of evidence to point that consciousness actually does come outside of our brain, that, you know, consciousness does not start in the brain. There's actually a lot of scientific evidence in the realm of physics, quantum physics, and just, uh, you know, empirical Mm -hmm. studies that have been done uh, Mm -hmm. that indicates that consciousness does not come Mm -hmm. from, you know, the physical brain. And if that is the case, then it opens the possibility that science, uh, sorry, the consciousness comes from something uh, that is mm-hmm. external and possibly, uh, you know, either spiritual or interdimensional. Uh, and I'm not making the case that it's any of those things because I don't, I can't mm-hmm. say that with certitude, but it certainly opens for the door for that possibility, uh, even based on these scientific studies. So mm-hmm. I, I, but I think, and there's theories, there's certainly theories that, you know, our DNA is more like a, an antenna to this consciousness, and one might argue that that consciousness is a, a connection to God, mm-hmm. and I think that, uh, again, I can't say with certitude, you know, that would require a leap of faith, and I can't tell other people what to believe, but I, I can say that if if there were any evidence to indicate that there is lots of truth in that, that people who... Have lots at stake in uh, lot lot of stake in controlling and enslaving others who would not want masses to come to that conclusion and uh something like a determinist worldview would be very helpful and instrumental in uh prohibiting masses from coming to that conclusion so
1: yeah it's interesting it's always
0: awareness at least awareness yeah. But it it's always that. in
1: someone's self interest, I was going to say, to make the other believe that they have less power than they do. Right. Right. Exactly. That's just self interest. If you're going to prevail over someone in any way,
0: you know, mm-hmm. dominating
1: in conversation or ideas or physicality, whatever it is, right. You best begin. This is probably in the art of war somewhere, right? You best begin by convincing your opponent that they don't have the skills that they think they do and that they're powerless.
0: Right, yeah, that's asymmetric warfare, right? Unconventional warfare, and that's uh...
1: advertising. I don't know if you, I mean, I have some very conservative friends who believe in the faith of the market, right? Mm-hmm. The marketplace will decide. The marketplace will build the best mousetrap. A mouse trap. you know, the marketplace, the best product will win. And it's as if I want to say, and this, I think you might agree with this, but wait a second, that might have been true before advertising and manipulating of opinion. But the best mousetrap is whatever is promoted with the most money. Not always, but in general, there's this whole machine of influence and domination that is getting in the way of us ever figuring out anymore what the best mousetrap is. Not always, but in a large, large segment of what we buy. We're, We're influenced from day one by covers and artwork and, 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 and Pornographic shapes loosely built into, you know, to to graphic design and so forth. It's been very studied. So this whole idea of markets and whether they really control things or manipulation, influence, which is where you're going on a lot of this, controls things. Mm-hmm. How about advertising? How about the fact that markets aren't as free as conservatives like to think they are?
0: Uh, this. Well, this would be a much longer conversation. Um, so I'm not going to right. answer this right. right. So, but I will just say very simply, you know, it, it just uh, kind of my uh, oversimplified kind of response to that, because that is a much longer conversation to really mm-hmm. distill all of that. Um, do I think that there is propaganda and marketing and, uh, you know, <laughs> influence? Absolutely. Of course. I, you know, there's a, I've done, I'm doing a show tonight actually on Tavistock and, you know, the uh, premier uh, brainwashing institute that, and uh, Edward Bernays, who was the double nephew of Sigm- Sigmund Freud, known as the father of propaganda, although, wow. and uh, the father of PR as well, though I think Wooly Munzenberg deserves uh, uh, quite a bit of that, that title as well. But so all this to say that absolutely we are very much influenced none of us are impervious to propaganda to conditioning to programming we all are influenced and you know whatever wherever we don't think we're influenced means we were probably very heavily influenced because we all have blind spots however i will say that doesn't necessarily mean that markets can't be free i will argue that our markets are not currently free um but that is not not as a result of the propaganda. So this is kind of the argument that a lot of, uh, you know, like postmodernists and determinists will make is that, well, we don't really make decisions because of all the programming that we've had and all of the uh, conditioning and indoctrination and, you know, just being a byproduct. So they pre- they paint this very uh, victimized picture of, therefore, we don't really have free will. And I would argue that that is absolutely fundamentally false. Um, because mm-hmm. yes, of course they may have an influence on us. That mm-hmm. still does not mean that we don't have choices and that we don't have consciousness and that we don't make choices. Mm-hmm. Certainly our choices could be influenced by, uh, this programming, the propaganda, but that propaganda is going to have a different effect on different people mm-hmm. based on their psychological makeup, their mm-hmm. biological makeup, their current environment, their situational pressures, yes. uh, the trauma they've incurred. Mm-hmm. There's so many different factors but then, even in spite of all of that, they still have free will. You have free will to choose how you respond to things. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying you're not impacted, influenced. That's absolutely true. You are. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not markets are truly free is a very separate question. Uh, but I would argue that the propaganda does not dictate whether or not a market is free or not free. You know, it definitely may influence the uh, decisions of the audience who has a purchasing power. But that's not quite the same thing as uh, whether or not a market is free or not. Now, whether a market is free or not, I would say uh, our markets are not. And again, this is a much longer question, so I'm not going to flush all of this out. But our markets are not as free as one would like to believe because we have so many regulations on our market currently. And right now, we, we don't even, I mean, corporations dictate. So uh, much of the markets and there. Most of them aren't even independent corporations. It's public-private partnerships, uh, which is a fascistic system. Um, and now we have a, a technocratic fascist, fascistic corporate system. So uh, that is really uh, limited the scope of the market. And of course, you know, there was a reason antitrust laws were implemented. Uh, those have been significantly, vastly violated, in my opinion, uh, at least in this country. And then I would argue, uh, you know, our uh, foreign uh, markets, uh, you know, there's there's so many sanctions there. I don't think we can really say that we have a true. Uh, I, I don't think in any regard we have a true free market currently. Uh, but again, that's a, that's a I, without going into all of the details of why that's the case, I, I would just make the, the argument that I don't think that the propaganda is what precludes us from having a free market, not to say that it doesn't have influence on purchasing power. It does on people who have purchasing power, I say. but I don't think it's the reason that we don't have a free market.
1: Well, it's, it's a really good point for the, that you're bringing out for the free will question. This is it's not an all or nothing thing? We can agree that there are influences. We can agree that there's brain activity mm-hmm. without reaching the unfounded conclusion that that means we don't have choice. The market influence doesn't preclude choice. Influence is influence. And bad bad smells may make certain people irritable, and they may act less rationally. Mm-hmm. to do with individual behavior, so I'm 100 um, percent on the side that, that that I think is a fundamental premise. Is this not an all or nothing thing? The fact that we're influenced doesn't disprove free will. The fact, no, that-
0: not at all. I mean,
1: <laughs> I know yeah. it's like, you want to say, well, that's so so damn obvious, right? And yet, yeah. if you read what determinists say. It's yeah, just some profound statement about how reality works.
0: Well, I don't know. There's this maybe one where we're, we'll see that. yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. It sounds like they're just not willing to work within the, the framework of reality or science, which they worship so much. That's just kind of <laughs> ironic. It's a
1: um, house of cards. It's yeah. really, it's, it's, there's so many problems with it that when you start exploring it, you go, How could? anybody think that this is plausible
0: well i personally value free will i think it is one of the most quintessential uh, aspects of humanity um and i think it is very much at stake currently uh, as i mentioned it's one of the reasons i, I started this podcast really was mm-hmm. to uh you know play whatever role i could in people taking ownership of free will because i think that is the key to preserving free will and uh, I, I can see why there is a, a push, a, a, or at least I can see why it would be convenient for people who want to control others to, um, you know, inst- instill this uh philosophy of determinism. But I would encourage people to explore and to take ownership of free will. And, uh, yeah, I unfortunately am going to have to wrap up. I have... Yeah, we've had five shows today, so I have another one lined up. Oh, you are a busy beaver. Yes. <laughs> so Ramingala is
1: going full time. Full to, would you mind if I plug two things I wanted to yeah, plug? Yeah, please. Uh,
0: whatever you
1: want to. And, do and impart myself, and, there's a, a wonderful YouTube video by John Searle, who's a philosopher. I believe he was at Stanford. And it's about how machines can't think and won't think and will never think. And machines are machines. They're, with, sen-
0: they're not sentient. And, and there is not, no evidence. They're not sentient.
1: And he says it in such sophisticated but simple, straightforward, common sense terms that anybody who buys this conventional wisdom that's floating around that machines are thinking and they have pain and we have to be morally sensitive to machines. If they're open-minded, listen to what John Searle says in this lecture about what machines are and how they don't think. That was one thing. I also wanted to plug, because it's a complicated issue, when you first hear about it, this Mm -hmm. whole self-defeating claim thing. There's a fantastic book by Jim Slagle,
0: S-L-A-E-L-E.
1: It okay. talks about and analyzes the self-defeating claims, and it covers determinism. It covers naturalism. Okay. It covers evolution, and he lays it out really well. Perhaps in more detail than the average listener might want. It's a fantastic book for anybody who's. Wait a second, yeah, right. the self-defeating claims. You can't say nobody knows anything without contradicting yourself. Right. It's kind of a fun puzzly thing for those who like crossword puzzles. To think of all those things, you know, okay. um, and and his book lays it out really well. So I wanted to plug that because it gave me a lot of good insights after I've been exploring the issue for quite some time. Okay, so
0: That's Thank my plug. You. Yeah. Well, great. Well, if you want to tell people uh, where they can get your book and if you have anything else you want to impart, please do. Uh,
1: my book is called Debunking Determinism. It it. It is a rehash, or redo, I should say, of a, of, of a book that took on Harris's free will. And when, so there it is. And when Sapolsky came on the scene, he was the first popular polemic for determinism since free will. It's been over a decade. And I felt I had to revamp the book to specifically incorporate his ideas, which somewhat vary and somewhat overlap with Harris's. Mm-hmm. So that's the, um, the new edition. It includes Sapolsky. It includes Harris. It discusses their common things and and those where they veer off on their own paths of uh, of uh, of incoherence. Let's say, mm-hmm. um, obviously, I won't get get fan letters from, from 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 that camp. But anyway, that's the new book, and 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 I think in in the most distilled terms I could do it sets forth the big picture problems. That that face determinist thinking and why it doesn't make sense and why it's not credible or plausible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's my plug.
1: I'm at biochemicalrobots.com. Biochemical robots was a phrase that Harris used in his book to describe our me- that were mechanical beings.
0: Well, like, that's that's what they want to create. I mean, this is why I say there is definitely a, an incentive, whether or not they have intentionally. Uh, created, you know, some sort of a movement to popularize this or not. I can see the incentive to do so because they want to create biochemical robots. That's exactly what they're working on. So that's the whole transhuman agenda, right? So,
1: and when you asked me at the beginning why I got into this, this I would conclude just by saying one of the things I say at the beginning of the book, which is it's a philosophy of disempowerment.
0: I absolutely I agree. It's very disempowering. So. Well, thank you for taking it on and uh, thank you for spending the time with us and, uh, and thank you all for watching and listening.